Welcome to Dinosaur George Kids, a show for anyone who loves dinosaurs. Dinosaur George has studied paleontology for over 50 years and has performed live to over 4 million students across the world. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Now, here's Dinosaur George. Hey there, future paleontologists. I hope you are all doing well. Studying dinosaurs, studying paleontology, studying prehistoric life. Could there be anything more fun than that? I'm Dinosaur George coming to you from the world-famous Dinosaur George Studios located right outside of San Antonio, Texas. Lots of good stuff happening as always. Been very busy getting ready for the holiday season, doing a lot of website orders. We, uh, we're doing a lot of website orders, so that's good news. So things are going great, getting a lot, a lot, a lot of really good questions from all of you. For those of you that would like to send me a question, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can go to our website, dinosaurgeorge.com. Click on the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page. You'll see it at the top of the homepage. And then you'll scroll down to the bottom, and there is a form that you can fill out where you can send it to us. Now, in that form, we ask for your email address, but we don't use it. The only reason why it's on that form, we don't have a choice, which kind of frustrates me, but we don't have a choice. It it forces us to ask for your email. So if if you don't want to send your re- real email, you can send a pretend one because we won't use it. We won't respond to it. So you can write something like me at me.com. You can just do anything you want. But if you want to include it, you can. I mean, sometimes somebody may ask a question uh, that has something to do with our business, and then we might respond that way. But anyway, just wanted you to know. So we're getting a lot of questions because I'm doing so many virtual lessons. Lots and lots of virtual lessons. All right. Speaking of virtual lessons, I might as well get this out of the way now. We're just going to run it real quick. And then when we come back, we are going to do our feature creature. And it's a big, big, big carnivore. Now you can bring Dinosaur George into your classroom, home, or facility anywhere in the world with our virtual lessons. We offer over 15 different topics, including dinosaurs, prehistoric mammals, rocks and minerals, and more. Any age, any location, and any time zone. Visit us at DinosaurGeorge.com. It's time for our feature creature segment. If you would like to suggest a creature, go to the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com or post your suggestion on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Now, here is your feature creature. It is the largest known carnivorous dinosaur that ever lived. Spinosaurus is absolutely gigantic. This is a massively big dinosaur. First, let me tell you its, it's um, uh, statistics. It was 52 feet long, which is incredibly long. That's, that's the length of some 18-wheelers, actually longer than an 18-wheeler. It was 16 feet tall at the hips, 
Now, when you include that sail, it was 16 feet long, not just to the hips, but to the top of the sail. This dinosaur may have weighed upwards of 25,000 pounds. That's very heavy. It lived during the early to late Cretaceous between about 112 to 93 million years ago. So this dinosaur really lived before Tyrannosaurus rex. You know, so many people during the Who Would Win fight, so many people ask about, um, ask about you know, Tyrannosaurus rex and, and Spinosaurus. Well, Spinosaurus is alive long before Tyrannosaurus rex. Now, this thing is huge, like I said, but it, it's also very different. It's a very unique dinosaur in that it's got that gigantic sail on its back. And that sail has been a bit of a mystery and remains a mystery. First, let me say this. It was named in the year 1915 by a paleobotanist, or I'm sorry, paleontologist named Ernst Stromer. Now, Ernst Stromer named this thing, and at the time, it was everything about it was based off of about 25 bones. But some of the bones they found were these elongated spines on their back vertebra. That's how they knew it had a sail. And to be honest, the original drawings that he did of this dinosaur were pretty accurate. Except it, he thought that it stood upright, almost like a human like its tail was dragging the ground and its body was sticking straight up and down. That's not really the case. That's not really how this animal, uh, how this animal walked. Now, this first one was found in, I think, in Egypt. This dinosaur was in Egypt and Morocco or North Africa. That's that's where it, it roamed. But Spinosaurus it also has a very interesting thing in that everything they knew about it was just those few bones. But in April of 1944, that's during World War II, all of those bones were in a museum, I believe in Munich, Germany. And as wars happen, bombs are dropped. And unfortunately, a bomb blew up the museum where those bones were housed. And so therefore, nobody, it was lost to science. So here was a dinosaur that was discovered and then lost to science. So there was a long time between 1944 and when they started finding more Spinosaurus bones. So this dinosaur remains sort of a mystery for a very long time because the bones that did exist were blown up. So you could say Spinosaurus was discovered, lost, and then rediscovered. Now, it was rediscovered, and so people picked up kind of where uh, Stromer left off in that they didn't have a lot of material to work with. So they had to figure some things out about this dinosaur. Well, as more discoveries were made, and I believe it was Dr. Paul Sereno, who was with the Chicago Field Museum, he made an incredible discovery of a lot more of Spinosaurus. And suddenly a whole new world was opened up as far as what this dinosaur is. Now we know or have a much better idea of what it is. Spinosaurus appears to be better designed for being semi-aquatic. And what that means is that means you spend some of your time in the water and you spend some of your time on land. It's discovered that it could walk on all fours easily. That's not the case with most meat-eating dinosaurs. And by the way, 
meat-eating dinosaurs are called theropods. That's the scientific term for the family of meat-eating dinosaurs. So theropods includes Velociraptor, Tyrannosaurus rex, Allosaurus, Spinosaurus, Carnotaurus, Albertosaurus, you name it, they're in that family. So Spinosaurus is different, though, because of the big sail on its back, but also its legs appear to be better suited for walking on all fours. Which makes sense, because if you are semi-aquatic, if you're spending a lot of your time in the water, then you're probably feeding on the animals that are there, which means fish and baby crocodiles, maybe even adult crocodiles, turtles, things like that. So if you're going to be standing around with your head underwater looking for food, it would make sense that you want to stand on both your front and your back legs to support your body. If you're just standing on your two legs all day in one spot, that's you're going to be awfully tired. You want to lean down and be able to search the, the water for potential fish. So Spinosaurus appears to be a pescivore. Pescivore basically means fish eater. Carnivore means meat eater. Herbivore means plant eater. Insectivore means insect eater. And pescivore means fish eater. So, Spinosaurus was a fish eater. Now, its head is perfectly made for grabbing fish. It's got a long, skinny snout, almost like that of a crocodile. And that long snout means that it could snap its jaws really fast and grab fish before they could swim away. So, it's got this incredible fish-catching mouth and then its teeth. Whoa! It's got a bunch of teeth. Very sharp teeth that are shaped like bullets, those are better for grabbing and holding something that's slippery like a fish. Now, those teeth were still strong enough to crack the shell of a turtle. Like if it eats a turtle, it could crunch the shell of a turtle and it could eat the turtle. But its snout is better suited for grabbing fish. I read an article about somebody who proposed that there may have been sensory organs in the nose A sensory organ is what you find with sharks. Sharks can be in complete dark water and still figure out where the fish is because those organs, those little things in their nose, can pick up tiny electrical currents. Anything that is alive and living in the water puts off a little bit of electrical current. You may not know that, but it does. Do you know every time your heart beats... It makes an electrical current. Every time a muscle moves in your body, it makes a tiny little electrical current. Well, sharks can find you in total dark water because of that little electrical current. They have these little sensors that pick that up. Some people propose that Spinosaurus had the same thing. Can you imagine an animal who's that long nose? He can be in the dark, deepest kind of water and be swinging his head slowly from side to side, almost like a vacuum cleaner going back and forth. But when it picks up that electrical feel, it snaps its jaw shut on whatever's there. So this would have made it a very effective hunting machine. It may be possible that if indeed it had sensory organs in its nose, then I believe it would have made more sense to hunt at night, not during the day. Because during the day, as big as it is, fish could see it coming from a long way off. They could swim for safety before it could even get close. But if you're hunting at night and you're slowly, carefully moving, 
Yes, the fish can sense you coming because they can hear the movement of your feet. But you got to remember, if this dinosaur is 52 feet long, that means from the tip of its nose to its legs, that might have been 25 or 30 feet. So even though you hear the feet coming, you don't realize that way ahead of those feet is that head. So, yeah, you feel it and hear it moving in the darkness and you're getting ready to flee because you think it's 20, 30 feet away from you. When, in fact, the head might be directly over you by that point. You're hearing the legs. You don't hear the head moving. You hear the legs back there in the back. So I think it could have been a night hunter, which would have given it an excellent opportunity to catch all kinds of prey in total darkness. Now, if it doesn't have those senses, then daytime would seem to make more sense. But you go, well, as big as it is, how... How could it sneak up on anything? If you're 55 or 52 feet long, how do you sneak up? An 18-wheeler can't sneak up on you. Well, what if its size was its camouflage? You see, fish, anything in the water, they know that danger can come from above, like birds that dive in and grab them. So fish always want to hide under things. Like if there's a log laying out in the water, fish will hide underneath it. Not just to hide from danger, but also to use it as a place to ambush their prey. Fish will swim towards something like a shadow to hide under it. Well, if you're 55, 52 feet long, I keep saying 55. Let me tell you why I keep saying 55. <clears throat> I've always thought spinosauruses were 55 feet. That's the number I've always used. So I'm in that habit. They're constantly reevaluating how big these things really are because with new discoveries, that helps them kind of answer the question. So it seemed like 52 feet is the more accurate number. But if I keep saying 55, I'm just simply saying it out of habit because that's the size that I was that I read about before they found more evidence. That was its estimated size. So anyway, getting back to my subject. If you're 52 feet long and you're standing there, you're making a big shadow. You may look like a giant tree. The fish may come to you and hide under you for protection, not realizing you are the enemy. You're so big, you're camouflaged. You look like a, like a mountain. You look like a, like a tree. You just happen to be a tree with teeth. And that's definitely not a good thing. So... It may be that if it was hunting during the day, it was walking through the shallow water or maybe swimming after prey. Yes, it is possible that Spinosaurus was an excellent swimmer. You remember I talked about new discoveries being made? Well, they found the tail of a Spinosaurus, the complete tail. They never found a tail before, but they found, they found a complete tail of this thing. And when they did, they discovered that its tail is very wide and flat, almost like the tail of a crocodile. That means it would have used its tail to move it through the water. And remember I said its legs were a little bit shorter than what you'd expect? Well, that makes perfect sense. If you're swimming through the water, you don't want giant, long, bulky legs because all they do is slow you down. You want to hold your legs to your side. The way a crocodile looks, its little arms and legs are sticking to the side of its body as it swims. Spinosaurus may have been fast enough to chase after fish and eat them. Not little fish, but big fish. So maybe there's a variety of hunting methods. Maybe during the day, 
It's just simply standing there, looking down, waiting for an unsuspecting fish to go hide under it and grab it and eat it. If it has sensory organs in its snout, maybe it's hunting at night, seeking fish in total darkness or in dark, dirty water. Or maybe it's just swimming around like a crocodile after everything. Now, this animal does not hide in the water and leap up and grab things that come to drink. That's not, they're not like a crocodile in that aspect. They could if they wanted, I suppose. But they're simply too big. There's no place. They can't lay in the water and wait for something to come by because the water would have to be unbelievably deep. And then they may not have been able to hold their breath like a crocodile. I don't know if they could do that or not. So I think these are actively hunting, figuring out ways to catch fish. So what about that sail? Let's talk about that sail. It's the biggest thing on its body. What is the function? There's so many different opinions. Here is my opinion. Because Spinosaurus is living in the water, water steals heat from your body. Even if the water is warm, it still steals your heat. That's why when you're little and you go swimming and you never want to get out of the swimming pool and your lips turn blue and you're shaking even though it's very hot outside, that's because water has been stealing the heat from your body. Water is a thief. It steals heat. Well, if Spinosaurus is spending its days standing in the water, water is stealing its body heat. You ever seen pictures of crocodiles that go on the shore and they stand there with their mouth open? They're standing there trying to get as much heat to shine on as much of their body as they can so that their body warms up so they can go back into the water and keep hunting. Even in swamps that are really hot, they still have to come out of the water because the water is still stealing the heat. Can you imagine dying because the the water's stolen all your heat in the middle of the summer? But that's possible for reptiles. It's possible for us. So I think the spine may have been used to capture the rays of the sun to help replace the heat that the water is stealing from the rest of the body. I think the sail, that's the only purpose it had. Maybe it was used as a way to signal a rival or attract a mate. Maybe it's possible for that. Nature usually doesn't make things that can only be used for one thing. Nature usually figures out ways to take advantage of whatever they have. And so I think the spine's number one purpose was to help heat the body because it's always in the water. It always needs to be able to replace its heat. And then from there, maybe it was used as a way to signal. Whatever the case, that spine is amazing and it's huge. It's six feet tall. It's taller than most people listening to this podcast. So if the spine is that big, it took a lot of energy for that spine to grow to that size. Animals cannot grow these amazingly big things that, and they're not used for anything. It takes too much energy to put into it to grow. It has to be a very important function for Spinosaurus. And when you add up the fact that it lives in the water, It has a tail like a crocodile. It has a head like a crocodile. It has relatively shorter arms and legs. And Spinosaurus is always found with fish scales and fish bones in its stomach area. 
So that tells you this animal is spending its time in the water. And what is the natural fact or what would be the natural use of that spine? To be sticking out of the water to help capture the sunlight to replace its body heat. Now, that doesn't mean that's the only answer. I could be wrong, but that's just my opinion. And whenever you're talking about dinosaurs and prehistoric life, you can have an opinion. It's okay for you to guess what you think it is. And as you get older, you read more books and you learn more evidence and maybe you change your mind. Maybe somebody will change my mind and say, no, here's what the Spinosaurus sale is for. And if what they give me is is, is good science, then I'll change my mind. But for right now, I do believe that that spine is used as a way to heat its body. Finally, its teeth are like a crocodile in their shape, but also when they lose a tooth, they can regrow another tooth over and over and over throughout their entire life. That makes Spinosaurus a spectacularly amazing dinosaur. And there's a lot of cousins of Spinosaurus. There is Suchomimus, Baryonyx, Suchosaurus, Siamosaurus, Christosaurus, Ichthyovenator, Oxalia, Irritator, Megaraptor. These are all dinosaurs that were related, were related to Spinosaurus. So there's all kinds of Spinosaurus and they're found all over the world. There is some evidence that maybe they found the evidence of a Spinosaurid. That means the whole family. They may have found a Spinosaurid in North America. Now, they found them in South America. They found them all over Africa. They found them in a variety of different places. But like, um, let's see, Thailand. They found some relatives in Thailand, in England, in Spain. Uh, where else? Portugal. Uh, Africa. Lots of them found in Africa. But it looks like even one in Laos. Ichthyovenator was discovered in Laos. And then we find them in Brazil. Uh, uh, like uh, Oxalia was found in Brazil, Irritator. So they found them everywhere, but it may look like they finally found some in North America. So it could be that Spinosauruses, Spinosaurids, were found all over the world, and they must have been very, very successful. All right, we are going to take a short break, and we're going to come back. We're going to do the Ask Dinosaur George segment, and then we'll end with... Who would win? And the who would win this time is the craziest one I've ever received. This one is going to be crazy. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. Become a member of the Dinosaur George Patreon Club and join the fun. We offer different club levels, each with their own set of benefits. Private lessons, new discoveries, behind-the-scene access, and much more are all part of being a club member. Visit DinosaurGeorge.com and sign up today. Do you have any questions about dinosaurs? Just ask Dinosaur George. You can post your questions on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook page or click on the Dinosaur George podcast page at dinosaurgeorge.com. Questions are chosen at random and you can submit as many as you want. And now, here's Dinosaur George. All right. 
Our first question comes from Arjun from Frisco, Texas. Why did dinosaurs not adapt? Now, what Arjun is talking about is um, I just this morning did a virtual lesson for Arjun's class uh, in Frisco, Texas. I did a lesson for his class. And one of the things, I think it was Norris Elementary. I'm pretty sure that's who, uh, that's that's where he's from. Um, so the question was, when the asteroid impacted the Earth, I told them some animals were able to adapt, some could not. So the question Arjun is asking is, why did the dinosaurs not adapt? Well, different animals can behave differently. Sometimes they can change very quickly and adapt to whatever the environment is. Other times... They're very specialized. They don't like that at all. Let me explain it like this. Uh, Aquariums. I used to keep uh, fish tanks, fish from the ocean, marine fish. Now, some of those fish, they could handle anything. It didn't bother them if the temperature went up, if the temperature dropped. It didn't bother them at all. Other fish did not, could not stand those things. When the temperature of the water changed, they would die. Because they could not adapt. They didn't like anything other than exactly what they liked. So dinosaurs may have been like that. It may have been that dinosaurs simply were not capable of being able to adapt. Now, one group of dinosaurs did. Those are the avian dinosaurs because birds are dinosaurs. So the avian dinosaurs adapted, but the terrestrial dinosaurs, that's the the other ones, they did not. Okay, uh, uh, Sarah is age seven from Frisco. Bet this is the same school. I knew about dinosaurs so much and you have taught me even more. Dinosaurs are my favorite thing to learn. Well, I am so glad to hear that. I am so glad that you learned something that I taught you some more information, but that you knew a lot about them. Very proud of you. And I hope you continue to read and study as well. Okay. Andrea, age nine and Anthony, age 10. These folks are from San Antonio, Texas. Andrea asked, what made you feel like you wanted your job to be looking for dinosaur bones? Well, Andrea, when I was little, I loved dinosaurs, and I think a lot of people do. But then as you get older, some people lose their interest in that, and they start liking something else. It's very normal. That happens all the time. But for me personally, I never stopped loving dinosaurs. I never changed my mind about them ever. That's what I liked. That's what I read about. So when I was old enough, to be able to make a decision of what I wanted to do with my life, I made the decision that digging up dinosaurs is what I wanted to do because that's what I loved. Now, I dug up dinosaurs for a long time, but then I started teaching people about them. And that's when my job changed. I stopped going out and spending my spending months digging in the field. I started spending my time teaching people. So my job has changed a little bit, Andrea. I started off digging up bones. I finished now teaching about them. Now, Anthony said, what was the first type of dinosaur? Well, you know, the first dinosaurs, Anthony, actually were kind of some small ones. Dinosaurs like Eoraptor and who is it? Lagosuchus and uh, Herrerasaurus and Platyosaurus. Now, Platyosaurus was pretty big, but the other ones started off small. Dinosaurs evolved from a group of animals called archosaurs. Archosaurs. Those are animals that kind of, sort of, kind of look like dinosaurs, but really weren't. But the archosaurs then divided to become the crocodiles and the dinosaurs and the pterosaurs and the ichthyosaurs. They all kind of branched off from this group called dinosaurs. So the, I mean, archosaurs. So the very first dinosaurs were relatively small, 
But from that point on, they continued to change and adapt to their environments, and they became bigger and bigger. All right, Ethan, age 10. Ethan is from Frisco, Texas. Ethan wants to know which dinosaur was the first to go extinct. Well, actually, Ethan, there were a number of times where animals have become extinct in the history of the world. Like, for instance, at the end of the Triassic period, we see some dinosaurs simply disappear with new ones showing up. At the end of the Jurassic, dinosaurs go extinct. Some of them continue on. At the end of the Jurassic, my beloved Allosaurus died. Uh, Brachiosaurus, Diplodocus, Camptosaurus, Segosaurus, Camarasaurus, Apatosaurus. All of those dinosaurs die at the end of the Jurassic. They go extinct. So it's hard to tell you who were the first ones were to become extinct because it depends on which extinction event you're talking about. Are you talking about the one at the Triassic? Well, if you are, dinosaurs like Herrerasaurus and Eoraptor and uh, who else? Lillian Sternus and, oh my gosh, how so many of them. Platiosaurus. All of those guys, I think, went extinct at the end of the Triassic. And that opened the door for new dinosaurs to grow and evolve during the Jurassic. Then they went extinct. And then newer dinosaurs appeared. Now, some dinosaurs made it between those time periods. I think... Uh, uh, Iguanodon was living during the Jurassic and during the early to mid Cretaceous. It continued on. Not all of them. It's not like they all started over again. Some of them continued on. But the answer to your question is, uh, it depends on which time period and then which ones died out first. That's hard to say. Because we don't know if we found every single bone of every single dinosaur. So we cannot tell you when someone died and Exactly when. All right. Uh, uh, Rian, age six, from Texas. What are Stegosaurus's plates made of? Good question. They actually be, they seem to be made of bone. Bone, but then they were covered with something. They were, they were covered with either keratin, which is what your fingernail is, or they may have been covered by skin. I don't know for certain which thing covered them, but the bone could not be sticking out of the skin. Because covering the, 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 the plate were blood vessels, little tiny tubes of blood all over them. Something had to cover the plate because those blood vessels couldn't be sticking out like that. The slightest scratch and they could bleed to death. Something had to protect them. I think it may have been keratin, which is what your fingernails are made of, or it may have been skin. Maybe sort of a leathery skin, like like, you know, the pads on the foot of a bird, how they're kind of thick and heavy? Well, maybe that sort of skin covered them. Maybe they were covered in skin. But I do not know. But I do think, I'm almost certain, that the actual plates were indeed bone. Because I've seen fossils. I have a fossil of one. It, it's every bit bone. It seems to be bone. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. Nobody's ever asked me that question. That was a very good question. So I don't know for absolute sure. All right, if you'd like to ask a question, go to DinosaurGeorge.com and click on the Dinosaur George Kids podcast page, fill out the form and send it. Or if you follow me at the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, then you can send your questions through there. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for. Who would win? What if two different prehistoric creatures fought? Who would win? T-Rex versus a giant wolf? Raptor versus Terror Bird? 
Spinosaurus versus Triceratops. You choose the animals, and Dinosaur George will size them up and pick a winner. Now, get ready. It's time to find out who would win. Oh, man. This one is crazy. This was sent to me by my little buddy, Victor, who is six years old and lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Victor is a little dinosaur expert who is a member of the Tyrannosaurus Rex Patreon Club. Remember, to be able to, if you're a member of the of the Tyrannosaurus Patreon Club, the Dinosaur George Patreon Club, only members of the Tyrannosaurus Club get to submit these Who Would Wins. So, this one was submitted by Victor, who has been a Tyrannosaurus member since the day we started. He's one of the first members. So here's what he sends me. This is a three-way melee with Allosaurus, Dimetrodon, and Smilodon. Whoa! This is going to be a nasty battle, Victor. This one's going to be bad. Now, first, each one of these animals is from a totally different time period. Victor knows that. And the, the, and the rules of who would win, you can pick any animals you want. So he picked something from the Permian, something from the Jurassic, and something from the Pleistocene era. These dinosaurs are separated by hundreds of millions of years, and that's what makes this melee very interesting. Let's size them up. First, we're dealing with Allosaurus, the brute. This thing is huge, longer than 30 feet, gigantic, probably weighed three tons, mouthful of teeth, very powerful hands. This thing is the heavyweight brute. Next, he chose Dimetrodon. Now, this is an animal that is not a dinosaur, but it's got a very powerful bite with very big teeth. Dimetrodon is big, too. It's 12 feet long. This is an animal with that sail on its back. You've all got toys of them. I'm sure you've seen Dimetrodon toys. So Dimetrodon is this chosen. And then finally, he goes with Smilodon, which is more commonly called the saber-toothed cat. Wow. What a fight this is going to be. All right, first of all, Allosaurus is going to overpower everybody unless they can get him at his weak spot. What is its weak spot? Its legs. Because if you can figure out a way to damage those legs, Allosaurus is out of the fight. If he can't walk, fight is over for Allosaurus. So I think Dermetrodon's going to go right for the ankle, going to go right for the leg bone, use those teeth to bite in and shake its head from side to side and try to rip its feet. Now, if it's up under its feet, Allosaurus may not be able to bend its neck down far enough to get him. He can't reach down under his legs. He can't bend his back like that. If Dermetrodon gets in fast enough before Allosaurus can use its arms or its teeth, that Dimetrodon is down there ripping and shredding its legs. That could be very bad for Allosaurus. Yes, Allosaurus can kick and jump and try to get him off, but if Dimetrodon clamps down with those jaws, I don't think Allosaurus is going to shake him off. Now, if Allosaurus ever gets his jaws on Dimetrodon before Dimetrodon gets to Allosaurus's legs, that's the end of it for Dimetrodon. Allosaurus can grab that sail and shake that thing and rip it to pieces, step on him, crush him, game over. Smilodon, now we're talking about a mammal. Bigger brain, smarter animal, way faster than either Allosaurus or Dimetrodon. Smilodon 
could run up and launch itself onto the back of an Allosaurus, using those canines to, de- to, to dig deep into the neck of Allosaurus. Once he's on the back of Allosaurus, Allosaurus can do nothing. There's nothing it can do. It can't reach back with its arms and pull it off. It can't reach around with its neck and grab it and pull it off. Smilodon could be ripping and shredding the back of Allosaurus with those teeth and those claws. He's going to cause tremendous damage. And even if Allosaurus tries to roll over and get him off, Smilodon is a cat. Man, they're ninjas. That thing can spin, land on his feet, turn around, come back and attack. I am going to choose Smilodon. And I know that's going to stun some of you because you're all going to say Allosaurus is gigantic. Yes, it is. But like the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was gigantic, but David had a secret weapon. So in my opinion, Smilodon has the speed, the weaponry, and the big brain that allows that animal to become victorious. So Allosaurus destroys Dimetrodon. Smilodon slowly wears down Allosaurus. Loss of blood brings down my beloved Allosaurus. Victor, why? Why did you give me an opponent that had the ability to kill my favorite dinosaur? I know you're probably laughing while I'm saying that, Victor, because I know you think it's hilarious that you got me good. And it actually is pretty hilarious, you rotten little kid. All right, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this one. Stay tuned throughout the Christmas holidays. I'm going to be recording as many of these as I can. If you have a suggestion of who you would like for me to highlight in the feature creature, send that to me. Make sure to to become a Patreon member if you'd like. We do free lessons. We do uh, lessons each month. And there's all kinds of neat stuff. And please make sure to follow me on the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group page. Until next time, everybody, take care of yourselves. Be safe. Wash your hands. Be kind to everybody. And if you have a friend who likes dinosaurs, please tell them about my podcast. I'll talk to you all soon. listening to Dinosaur George Kids. Join the Dinosaur George Kids Facebook group, become a member of our Patreon club, and check out our website store for cool fossils, rocks, and crystals. Visit dinosaurgeorge.com for details. Until next time, keep digging for knowledge.